Good morning. Uh, today is Orphan Sunday, and so churches all over the country are going to be talking about this um, and this work. And so we're going to take a break this week from the book of Acts, and we're going to go to Psalm 10 today. I want to talk to you about, uh, about our role uh, in this, but also, more importantly, God's role uh, as being a father to the fatherless. So if you did not receive the handout, the notes, and you would like that to follow along, just raise your hand and we can get you a copy um, back there in the back. Um, if you'll take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 10. Psalm 10, and what I'm going to do this morning is give us an overview of this psalm. We're going to look at what the psalm actually is teaching, what it actually says, and then we're going to talk about some implications of this for our church. Okay, and so um, from Psalm 10, before we begin reading this, you may be wondering, why, why, why talk about this? Why are we taking a Sunday to talk about orphans and children in foster care and adoption? And the reason's simple, uh, it's, it's a very biblical thing for the church to take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. James 1 verse 27 says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so if we were to look today at the world and ask, what is the problem? What is this crisis? According to statistics in 2014, over 400,000 children are in our foster care system. 400,000. And every year, 23,000 of those students go uh, exit out of the system. That means that they go through the foster care program and no one adopts them. And they turn 18 years old and then they are left on their own. And we see that as a national crisis. And we get to the state of Georgia a little more locally. So that we have 9,000 students, 9,000 children in our foster care system. We get a little more close to home in Roman Floyd County. The statistics from DFACS today, as of today, today in Roman Floyd County, we have 391 children in foster care. 156 new cases were reported just in the month of October. Now keep, this, keep these numbers in mind. 391 children in care, and there are only 29 foster homes in Roman Floyd County. 29 homes for 391 children. And you don't have to be good at math to realize that there's not enough homes, not enough places for these children to stay. And so what happens is these children have to go to other counties where they have beds for them. And so these babies are taken from home, taken from Rome, Georgia, where we have more churches per capita than any other place in the world, and we have to take children out of our town to other places sometimes down to Brunswick and Savannah to take these children. And so we read that, we hear those words, and I don't say that just to try to make us feel guilty, but to awaken us to the crisis. And perhaps when we hear that, we may ask the same question as the psalmist. When we see injustice in the world, our mind immediately goes to that one word. It's the first word in Psalm 10. Why? Why? And the question isn't just directed to the crisis. The question from the psalmist is directed to the Lord. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? 
Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? So let's read Psalm 10 here. Just to get a view of this, the first, there's three sections to this psalm. The first section from verses 2 to 11 talks about how the wicked act and how the wicked seem to be getting away with their wickedness and their injustice and their oppression of the poor and the helpless. Verses 12 to 15 is a prayer for God to rise up and act. And verses 16 to 18 is an acknowledgement of the character of God and who God is. And so let's read this together. Psalm 10 Verse 1, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all of his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Verse 12. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account, but you do see. For you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. To do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. When we read the scriptures, we see this phrase often in the Old Testament, especially the fatherless. This is the same word that we use for orphan. When we read the Old Testament, we see that God has great desire and a deep desire for his people to care for those who are helpless. According to commentators, the the word orphan here is a word coming from a Hebrew root that means to be alone, to be bereaved, often rendered as fatherless. And the idea describes any person who is without legal standing in the covenant community of Israel. They have no representation. They are unprotected, they are needy, or it's someone who is especially exposed to oppression. 
or one who is bereft of one or both of their earthly parents. And since God has a special concern for the fatherless, Old Testament law made special provision for them by protecting the rights of inheritance. The law ensured their freedom to glean the fields and the vineyards, to come on the corners of the fields, so that Leviticus, Leviticus would say, if you're wealthy, don't, don't gather all of your crops. Leave some on the corner so that the helpless and the poor and the orphan can eat. According to Scripture, strong condemnation awaits those who oppress the fatherless. And while the orphans of Israel were sometimes aided by friends and relatives, the truth is, if you read the Old Testament, there was general failure to meet the requirements of the law. As you read the, the, the accusations against, against Israel by the inspired writers of Scripture, the prophets never tire of pleading the orphan's cause. And then you get to the New Testament, and the word orphan is used only twice in the New Testament. Once in a general sense to describe the desolate or the comfortless. In John 14, verse 18, Jesus tells his followers, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And once in the specific sense to describe the fatherless, fatherless which I just read in James 1, 27. And so in the spirit of an Old Testament prophet, James declares that true religion involves the care of orphans. And so we get to Psalm 10, and what we see is that the people of Israel are not caring for the oppressed. They're not caring for the helpless. They're, they're rejecting and ignoring and actually taking advantage of the people who cannot help themselves. And so we see two different groups of people in Psalm 10, we see the wicked and the weak. We see the wicked and the weak. And so let me first give an explanation of this psalm and then give us some implications of that psalm. The explanation begins with the way of the wicked. Verses 2 all the way to verse 11 talks about the way of the wicked and how they oppress and how God seems to be ignoring those who are getting away with it. And so what do we see about the way of the wicked? This is, we're going to go pretty quickly through your notes today. We're going to do an interview later on with Mary Margaret Maurer, talk about our role in the community and our opportunity as a church. But as we look at this psalm, what is this psalm saying? What do we see about the way of the wicked? If you're following along in your notes, we see first that the wicked seek their own selfish gain. They seek their own selfish gain. Gain. Where do we see that? If you, if you look at verse 2, it says, In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. The reason they pursue the poor is because they can take advantage of the poor. They can use their authority, they can use their power, they can use their influence to rob from the poor and pad their own pockets. And so the wicked seek their own selfish gain. But even worse, we're told that they ignore the one true God. They ignore the one true God. Verse 3 talks about their desire for gain, but it also shows how they do so ignoring the Lord. Verse 3 says, For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. 
The wicked has a desire for gain, selfish gain, and arrogance. They will take advantage of people for their own selfish gain in greed and desire for wealth, and they ignore God. Look at verse 4. Look at how they ignore the one true God. Verse 4 says, in the pride of his face, like you can see it on his face, just the way that he's talking, you can just see it, the arrogance. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All of his thoughts are, there is no God. These wicked people are practical atheists. They are oppressing the poor, and the whole time they're saying to themselves, there is no God, there is no accountability, God will not get me for this. He can't see it. Verse 5, it says, his ways prosper at all times. They seek their own selfish gain. The wicked ignore the one true God and they trust in worldly prosperity. That's the third point here we see, that the wicked trust in their worldly prosperity. Verse 5 says, his ways prosper at all times. Now the psalmist says this because it appears to be so. It just appears like the wicked get away with everything. No matter how bad they are, no matter how much they take advantage of other people, it just seems that they always get away with it. He always prospers. And we see in verse 5 that he continues to ignore the Lord. It says, your judgments, Lord, are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He just, (laughs) he doesn't even take notice of them. They are beneath him. Verse 6, he says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. See, not only is he trusting in his worldly prosperity, but the wicked lives with deadly pride. That's the fourth blank. They live with deadly pride. There is an arrogance about the wicked who oppresses the poor and the helpless that says, I will never be moved. I will never be stopped. But it goes beyond the the attitude of his heart. We start seeing that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Look at verse 6. Now, he says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. But then what comes out of his heart comes out of his mouth in verse 7. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. The next blank, we see that the wicked, their words are sinful. It's not just the attitude of their heart, but the very words of their mouth are sinful. This is depressing, right? It's going to get better. It's depressing, right? We see the wicked. We see how they oppress They seek their own selfish gain. They ignore the one true God. They trust in worldly prosperity. They live with deadly pride. Verse 7, their words are sinful. And now we see that their works are evil. Their works are evil. In verse 8, he sits in ambush in the villages, in hiding places. He murders the innocent. This village is a place where there's no walls. There's no protection. And so he lurks And he waits for his opportunity to oppress and to take advantage of those who are helpless. His words are sinful. Their works are evil. 
His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. Verse 9, he lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. What do the wicked do? The next blank, they oppress the needy of the world. They oppress the needy of the world. This, this is the psalmist complaining, God, you're not doing anything. Because the very first question he asks in verse 1, why, O oh Lord, do you stand so far away? God, why, if you're so powerful, why do you allow this crisis in our nation, in our, in our own community, why do you allow this to happen? The wicked oppress the needy of the world and then as if it could not get any worse, it seems that there's no justice because they disregard the justice of their God. They disregard God's justice. Verse 10 says, the helpless are crushed. They sink down and fall by his might. And the the arrogant and the proud and the wicked say in their heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Don't you hate when people get away with stuff and it just seems like there's no justice? Sometimes I think that's, that's the, the anger we feel at our own government sometimes when we see people in power who abuse their power and it seems like they're just going to get away with it. But this scripture is not just about the wicked. We not only see the way of the wicked, but this passage is meant to highlight the God of the weak. Because the wicked are not going to get away with it. The psalmist knows that that the wicked are not going to get away with their wickedness. And so we see the God of the weak. Verse 12. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the wicked. Or forget not the afflicted. Excuse me. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But what do we see here in verse 14 about the God of the weak? But you do see. The wicked thinks that God doesn't see. I love the Babylon Bee. Anybody read the Babylon Bee? If you haven't read the Babylon Bee, do yourself a favor and just get a Twitter account and just read the titles of their articles. It's Christian satire, and one of the things they wrote this past week was that um, new, new development in Google Chrome, that the incognito tab, uh, now God can't even see it. Right? So it's not joking around that people think that even what we do on the internet when we hide our status and our history that somehow nobody sees it. And we even think to ourselves, nobody sees that. And yet, God sees. It's not just what we do on the computer. It's what we do with our lives, what we say in our hearts. Sometimes we look around. and Have you ever noticed the wicked will always look around to see if anyone's looking, but they never look up. They look behind them, they look around them to see if anybody's watching, but they never look up because they think that God doesn't see. But we're told here in verse 14, you do see. And so what do we see here about the God of the weak? We need to believe that God is the best father, that God is the one who cares for the orphan. This is... If we're going to change what we do, if we're going to meet the need in our community, we have to change our theology and get our theology right. And our theology begins with the fact that God is the father to the orphan. He is the God of the weak. 
Deuteronomy 10 verse 18 says he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And so back to your notes, what we see in verse 14 is that the God of the weak, he sees their need. He does see their need. Verse 14, but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. He tells him in verse 15, break the arm of the wicked. This is not just putting him in a chicken wing. This doesn't just mean God break his bones. The the arm is the seat of power. Break his power. Take his power away from him to stop oppressing. Call his wickedness to account. Bring him to justice. We're told in verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. And now verse 17, God not only sees their need, but he also hears their cry. He sees their need and he hears their cry. Verse 17, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. He hears. He not only sees, but he hears. This is omniscience. This is all-knowingness. God knows, and he sees, and he hears. The God of the weak sees their need. He hears their cry, and finally, he brings them hope. He brings them hope. Verse 17, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. We have a promise here that even in the world when it seems that God is not bringing justice to the wicked and he is allowing the oppression of the poor and he's allowing the oppression of the fatherless, it appears that God will not bring justice. And yet we're told in here in verses 16 to 18, there's a promise that God does see and that he is the king and he will bring justice Eventually, our king will come. He will bring justice. He will bring hope. And so, because God brings hope, justice will reign. Verse 18 says, He will do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. Justice will reign and deliverance will come. Deliverance will come. So that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. We see the way of the wicked, and we see the God of the weak. Now that's an explanation of the psalm. Now what you have to do when you read the psalms is you have to first start with what does it mean, right? We can't just immediately look at the psalm and say, well, where's Jesus in here, right? No, what does it mean, right? What does it mean in the Old Testament? What did these people mean, right? But now we need to go move from explanation to implication. We move to application. What does this mean for us? How do we apply this psalm? What does this mean for us? So what are the implications of this? The truth is that the gospel is is brought to bear. And so we have to look. If we're going to understand the orphan crisis, if we're going to understand foster care and adoption and how we understand that, we must start not with the problem but with the solution. And the solution is not ultimately government legislation. The ultimate solution is the cross. The cross is the solution for us today. And what we start off, before we ever get to the orphan crisis, we need to realize today that the cross is the solution to our crisis. 
The cross is the solution to our crisis. And so if you were reading this psalm, and as I was describing the wicked, if you were sitting there thinking, man, this is bad. These people need to go to hell, right? H-A-I-L-L, hell, right? They need to go because they need to burn for all this stuff they're doing. They're wicked. If you sat there and that was your attitude and you're thinking, man, these people are pretty bad, you have missed the point of the gospel because if we understand this truly, we will understand that we are wicked. We are the wicked in Psalm 10. We are the ones. Romans 3 is clear. There's none righteous. There's no, no, not one. No one seeks for God. We have poison in our lips. Our hearts are evil. They are swift to shed blood. We are wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart of man is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? Ephesians 2 tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so what we see here, we have to understand, before we can solve the crisis of orphans and foster care and meet that need, we must realize that we are the ones in need. And the cross is the solution to our crisis. We are wicked and we are weak. We're not only the wicked, but we are also the weak in this passage. We are the helpless. And so what we need more than anything, first of all, is for God to deal with us as the wicked. And what has God done for us on the cross? Because we are wicked, God in His grace judges our sins. Despite our wickedness, While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the good news of the gospel. And that's where we start. That's where we have to begin here. And so we realize that, that when I was wicked, when I was straying in my sin, God did not give me what I deserved, but on the cross, he poured out his full wrath and the judgment of God came upon Christ Drinking the bitter cup for me, absorbing the wrath of God so that I would be forgiven and cleansed and declared right. This is, if you write a, a, a word out to the right, this is the doctrine of justification, right? This is half of the gospel. This is, this is the part, this is the courtroom where God takes away our sins. But God also had to deal with our weakness. We weren't just wicked, we were weak. We are the orphans. We are the fatherless. And so what did God do? God not only judges our sins because of our wickedness, but because of our weakness, God makes us his sons. He makes us his sons. Oh, there's so many passages that we could read this morning. I think of Ephesians chapter 1. We sang about it, that very first song that we sang that, In Ephesians 1, before the foundations of the world, God chose us in Christ. He predestined us for adoption as sons. It was was at the beginning of time where God chose to adopt us into his family. I'll read this other passage. This is great. Galatians 4. Galatians 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's, that's salvation, that's justification, that's taking away our sins, redemption. But he didn't just redeem us, it says he redeemed us so that we might receive adoption as sons. If you write a word out there next to sons, write adoption. The gospel's not just about justification in the courtroom. It is about adoption, God bringing us into the living room. It is about him bringing us into his family. And Galatians says, because we have been adopted as sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts so that we cry, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave this morning, but you are sons. And if you are sons, then you are heirs of God. You have a rich inheritance this morning because God has adopted you. Every one of us were in the spiritual foster care system. Every one of us. Without a home. Without a family. And God adopted us as his own. Have you ever thought about this? That Jesus himself was adopted? Jesus didn't have a biological dad, right? Mary was born of a virgin. And so who adopted Jesus? Joseph did, right? Joseph wasn't Jesus' biological dad, but he still adopted him, took him into his family. And so we, we see that, that even Jesus knew what it was like, right? Because... He was ridiculed. If you read the Gospel of John, the Pharisees were always mocking Jesus, saying, well, at least, Jesus, at least we know who our daddy is. At least, at least we weren't born out of sin. At least our mom wasn't sleeping around and got pregnant out of wedlock. That's what they accused him of. And so Jesus knew what that was like. And Joseph listens to Gabriel, listens to the Lord, and graciously still marries Mary, and takes Jesus as his own son. And that's what God's done for us in the gospel, in Christ. He has adopted us. And so we need to have a deeper view of the gospel. Our, our view of the gospel needs to change, right? It's not just that God takes away my sin, but he also adopts me into the family. Your family today. If you're in Christ, your family. Justification reminds us that we are right with God. Adoption reminds us that we are his children. And so we have to begin first with our crisis. The cross is the solution to our crisis. But the cross also is the solution to the orphan crisis. The cross is the solution to the orphan crisis. And so, moving on in your notes, in light of our wickedness, if we realize our wickedness and we realize where we stand in the gospel, we must recognize today, as we look at this crisis in our nation and in Roman Floyd County, that we are not rescuers. We are not the rescuers. We're not the ultimate solution to this problem. We are means to it, and we are helping but we are not ultimately the rescuers we must realize this morning that we are the rescued we are the ones who have been rescued and that's the message that we carry we we don't come as if we're better we don't come into into adoption and foster care and serving these families we don't come as if we're better and somehow we have more something to offer that they just can't get we're, we're here and we we're above them that's not the attitude we come as the rescued not as the rescuers 
Our attitude is of humility. And we're coming alongside of people to help them because God adopted us. And our love for the fatherless comes out of the fact that God loved us when there was nothing lovable in us. And so in light of our wickedness, we recognize we are not the rescuers, we are the rescued. And in light of our weakness, we now see their need. We see the need around us. We hear the numbers. We're going to hear the testimony in just a moment from Mary Margaret. We hear those things. We see their need. And hopefully now as you get involved with Restoration Rome and you hear more about what God's doing in our church and in our community, you're not only going to see the need, but I hope that you'll now hear their cries. You'll hear their cries. You hear that? We see their need, we hear their cries, and church, now we have the opportunity to bring them hope. We have the opportunity to bring them hope. And so you heard it in the video. Let me say this. I don't have all the answers. I don't have this figured out. I'm on this journey with you, all right? But we need to know that caring for the fatherless is a call to suffer. It's a call to suffer And the reason is we take on the suffering of other people as we minister to them. We get to identify with Jesus as we take on the suffering of others. Suffering is not only the worst case scenario for missionaries who live in other countries. Suffering is any difficulty that's brought upon because one has obeyed Jesus. And so suffering is not measured by severity or how bad it is. It's measured by our presence. Are we there? Are we suffering alongside of others? And the only people who will avoid suffering are those who avoid obeying Jesus. Russell Moore says, The call to care for orphans, like so many things in Scripture, is a call to walk in faith. And so we walk in faith, trusting the Lord, that we know this is what we should do. This is the opportunity before us. And so, how are we to do this? How do we bring them hope? We bring them hope as families. As families. We have several in our church who have stood up and and, and taken on that role as being being foster parents. Or or not even just being foster care parents, but maybe being um, people who come along those foster parents to help serve and to to help meet their needs and to support those who who are doing that, right? There's opportunities for us as families to get involved. Maybe to ask today, what is our role? And I realize not everyone is in the position to take on foster children. That not a, children in our foster care system, we're not all there, right? And that's okay. There are other opportunities. So you may not serve as families. We have opportunities as families to help other families. But we're not just doing it as individuals. We also bring hope as a faith family. Not just as families, as individual families, but as a faith family. So we need to know that caring for the fatherless requires the whole church to do its individual part. Now, you may not be a foster parent or an adoptive parent, but if you are in community in this church, you have a role to play. Right? James 1.27 applies to the whole church. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. All right, so as we finish this, and I bring this to a close, and in just a moment, bring Mary Margaret up. 
We have to make sense of the Great Commission to make disciples. That's for every disciple. But we have to make sense of James 1.27 for every disciple too. So your role in this is going to be determined by your relationships, by your gifting by the Spirit, by your place in community, and just a general desire to love Jesus and to obey what he has told us to do. And so let me, let me just remind us, there's no one way to address this. There's, there's several ministries, there's different ways we can be involved. This is a yes and type of work. It's multifaceted. This requires multiple solutions to a complex problem from legislation to infrastructure, organizational change to boots on the ground, families getting involved to money being given from taking kids on and so on. All right? And that's why every disciple in their domain can have a role. So let me finish with this. If your domain is law, if you're a lawyer, if you're in that world, you can be helpful. You can help serve the legal needs of children who need advocates in court. We need you. If your domain is education, if you're a teacher, your services can be helpful. Serve the educational needs of kids who are behind in their schoolwork due to upheaval by tutoring. Can you imagine what it does to their schoolwork when they have to constantly be moving? If your domain is medicine or nursing, your services can be helpful. Help provide care for kids who have extended needs as a service. If your domain is business, your services can be helpful. What about young men and women who age out of the system? These 18-year-olds, we're, we're told that 50% of young women who age out of the system by the time they're 21 years old will be pregnant, out of wedlock. Four out of five, we're going to be unemployed. Where do they get training? Where do they get an opportunity? Where can business people come alongside and help these people integrate into society? We need you. So the whole church has to make sense of Jesus' teaching. And so the question is, what is TRC doing? And I'm going to bring Mary Margaret up. Um, do we have a microphone for her? All right, thank you, Brad. I'm going I'm to let Mary Margaret, I'm going to ask her some questions. we got some slides for her, and she's going to share about what we are doing. Uh, TRC started Global Impact several years ago. It's our nonprofit um, for working overseas, doing local engagement, and Restoration Rome is part of Global Impact. All right? So today I've asked Mary Margaret to come, Mary Margaret Maurer. Her husband Jeff is one of our um, elders here, and she's a member at the Unity Campus, and they have played a vital role in this ministry. And so, um, Mary Margaret, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you a few basic questions. Not, they're not that hard, okay? And then um, I'm going to let you share whatever else you'd like to share, okay? Um, there you go. Okay. Um, so Mary Margaret, first, what is, what is the vision of Restoration Rome? Um, our vision uh, with Restoration Rome is that our community would come together just to give every child the opportunity to reach their God-given potential. So it's about bringing um, government, faith-based organizations, individuals all together to strengthen and restore our families, but all in Christ's name. Mm. Um, once Restoration Rome is up and running, how is that going to affect the foster care and adoption crisis locally in Roman Floyd County? We're hoping um, to address the crisis um, through several avenues. One is um, foster parent recruitment. So Restoration Rome will be a site where um, there's all kinds of information available to folks who are interested in fostering, and we will have ongoing studies to help um, folks really explore where their fit is, whether it's foster, adoption, or care communities. Um, then once foster parents um, 
people commit to that, um, there will be training over there and then ongoing support because we know, um, again, once um, parents take that role on, that um, they need lots of folks to come around them. So um, all of those avenues, um, we hope um, through that to increase the number of foster families in Floyd County and um, help them continue fostering. So we have a situation where about half the foster families um, have one placement and then they're done because um, they're overwhelmed um, and don't have the support they need. So if we can train more foster families, that will keep more children in Floyd County. So seven out of 10 of our kids have to go out of county for care now. And the problem with that is it really hinders reunification. So children aren't able to come back to their families. So um, part of our crisis is the fact that um, we have so many kids that are just languishing in care because they can't um, be reunified. Um, but um, everything hasn't been done to try to reunify them. So you can't um, terminate parental rights and move towards adoption. So um, we can help um, through the visitation center that we have that will really come around biological parents and offer them support and really um, encourage reunification. We can really cut the number of kids in care by helping move them through the system and not have them linger in care. Uh, several people may not have been to the facility over at Southeast Elementary School. What's the status of the facility and what ministries are moving in there right now currently? Can I cue Jeff? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, we have, you have that program, so anything you need to use to answer these questions, go for it. I, I think my Jeff um, put some slides together just to show you all a bit. I don't know if any of you got to see um, the, uh, the building before it looked like this, but um, this is, um, again, these were just um, school rooms and um, they have been cleared out. Lowe's um, came in and volunteered and did two days of demo work um, to prepare for the visitation center. So you can see there. Could you say comment about that a minute? I don't think some people realize what, what just happened with Lowe's. Lowe's volunteered, and what all did they do for us? And what, what did they donate? Like, yes. So, I want you to hear how the Lord's blessing this work. Uh -huh. Okay, go ahead. So they committed to two days, but they started sending their maintenance crews who really knew what they were doing um, a week ahead, and um, they did massive demo work, again, dealing with all the electrical and plumbing and all that. Um, so they demoed two huge areas of the school. They demoed the area that will be the medical um, and dental clinic, and then they also demoed the area that will be the visitation center um, for these families. They painted. Painted. They provided all the paint um, and paint, repainted the cafeteria. They provided um, paint for all the halls, um, and they um, took out all the, the shrubbery that was outside of the building that was kind of a hazard um, and, um, and cleaned that out, provided mulch. So lots of volunteer hours and um, lots of help financially with, with paint and all of that. You said provided. They did that for free, right? Yes, yes. Touchdown Jesus, right? Awesome. Um, so, was there any more? This is, this so is outside, obviously. Right. That shows the area. That um, was really overgrown with big crepe myrtles whose roots were going to um, interfere with the foundation. So, they took all of that out, um, ground down all the, the um, roots and everything, and it looks like that now. So, it's ready in the spring for some planting of, of smaller, more appropriate um, plants. 
What are some of the ministries that are moving into that space that are going to be working there? So from the get-go, um, the Ron Floyd County Commission on Children and Youth um, has been in the building. and um, But very soon, we will have some of the, um, the private fostering agencies um, that will be... Um, leasing space. Um, NAMI, National Alliance for the Mentally Ill, um, will have space in the building. There will be, um, we're in the process of determining what the, um, the mental health provider will be, but there will be um, therapists, um, substance abuse therapy, um, again, the medical clinic, which will have medical dental, um, vision, um, mental health services, all of that will be in the building. And then a big piece of the building, again, will be intake services for kids coming into care so that they won't have to be taken into care at the defects office and stay there and listen to um, the caseworker make phone um, calls about them, but they'll be able to come into a place that's child-friendly with loving volunteers and get the services they need. Um, and then the visitation center, again, will take up a, a big big piece of that. How can, how can our folks stay updated and receive information about what's going on at Restoration Rome? Hopefully you found our Facebook um, by now. Um, we're, we're working on building that. Um, we're working on the website. Right now it's a landing page. You can go to restorationrome.org and at least sign up um, for areas you're interested in and sign up to receive newsletters once we get that really up and going. Um, those are two great ways. Come by anytime. Um, somebody's there most all um, of the time during the week, so we'd love for you to come by and um, just walk through the building. How, how can... Three Rivers people come and serve? What are some of the needs that we can help with? Um, there's always a need for work groups, folks that want to come paint. So Lowe's left us with a whole lot of paint that we can use for some of the other areas. So there's there's painting to be done. There's a clothes closet that's always in need um, of organization, and we're about to try to have a yard sale, so we need folks to go through that. Um, there's after-school programs that are going on now. We always need help with after-school um, programming, um, anytime um, enrichment. If uh, somebody has a hobby that they love um, to set up maybe a, a Saturday um, that they could come and share that with kids in the community. Um, I've got some little handouts and it lists on the back a lot of the volunteer opportunities that are over there. So I'll leave those um, and you can pick those up as well. Okay. Um Anything else you'd like to share? I may ask, see if anyone has a question. Um, we won't go too long on this, but if there's any other questions someone might have. Anything else you'd like to share as far as the, the ministry and anything we haven't talked about yet? You know, I just want you all to know, I mean, it, it just really is amazing, um, just the, the blessing um, of the Lord. And again, I mean, we all know um, the victory's been won, and, but he invites us to, to get to take part in that through this service. And it's just a beautiful thing to see how he puts people together and sends people um, over to Restoration Rome through just the, the strangest routes. Um, but, but I can tell you, time and time again, he provides. We'll get a call for a crib that we don't have, and in a couple of hours, a crib walks through the door. Um, it's, it's just really an amazing thing to see and how um, we will have a need and that person that can speak to that need just walks through the door. Um, so I just invite you all just to, to 
come in, take part um, in this. Um, it really is, it, it is a blessing. To me, this is a great opportunity for Radical Life Groups to, to do something as a group. Uh, we've just recently relaunched our Radical Life Groups here at church, at this campus. And so this is a great opportunity for you as a group to do something. And I'm sure you've got plenty of things you can put people to work with. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close us. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going we're gonna to sing. Because I think we've got a lot to sing about, right? I mean, that was weak. We've got a lot to sing about, right? Amen. You can say amen here. It's good. Um, the Lord's doing so much. I just feel like we're part of, this is like a George Mueller moment, right? A guy who started all these orphanages just by praying, never asked for anything, and the Lord continued to supply everything that he needed along the way. And so we're going to continue to pray for that, pray for people, pray for resources, and ask the Lord to glorify himself in this, right? Well, how cool would it be to, to eradicate the, the need um, for foster care homes because every child had a place, right? That's the goal. Uh, That's the goal. And so let's pray to that end, um, and then we're going to sing in response to what God's doing in our midst. Father, thank you for ruling well. Uh, Your concern for the orphan is greater than ours. You, You love the helpless. You love the fatherless. You love them and care deeply for them. And would you create that in us even if it's not there would you would you allow your heart to be our heart your desire to be our desires father thank you for the way you have provided so much in this work thank you for jeff and mary margaret and their work and their their effort and the energy and time they put into this and for so many others who have worked so hard to make this a reality and father we acknowledge that it is all from you. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. We trust and claim Philippians 4 19 that you are our God who will supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. And so Lord would you use us in a meaningful way in this community to not just restore families, not just to to provide homes for children, but ultimately to bring the gospel to bear, that people would hear the gospel and they would see this work as an extension of your love for us. Um, Father, would you glorify yourself, glorify your name today in our worship and in our service in this community. In Jesus' name, amen.